So I'll read Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, and we'll be focusing on verses 3 to 6. Hear the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite in him all things, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There are different conventions, different rules, written or unwritten, for written language and for spoken language. They have much in common, obviously, use the same words, use uh, the same sort of uh, parts of speech, nouns and verbs and so on. But written speech and spoken speech are actually very, very different things. There is some overlap, of course, uh, and there's some oddity. I, I have a friend who's a very fluent friend, very articulate friend, but whenever he speaks in daily speech, it sounds like a book. And so it sounds rather odd because it sounds like written speech when it's a, a daily conversation. Some of the best writers are those who are able to write in a way that sounds like they're just talking to you. So they, they sound like uh, spoken speech, even when it's written down. Now, the, um, the letters of the New Testament are actually spoken speech. It's kind of redundant, spoken speech, but spoken language that have been written down. And so one of the best ways to understand the letters of the New Testament is to read them out loud. That way we can kind of recapture Paul in prison or wherever he was dictating his letters to a secretary, which is how they wrote letters in those days, and we can pick up the, some of the cadences of his, of his speech. Now, when it's written down and we just read it, it's actually very dense and kind of complicated, but when we hear it, Sometimes it's easier to, to understand what he's doing. Now, um, the, this section is an unusual and even unique section in Paul's letters because normally, after he greets the church, he identifies himself and greets the church, and then there's a, a quick blessing, as we saw last week, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then there is usually a thanksgiving for the church. And he says, I thank my God every time I think about you, whenever I pray for you. That thanksgiving is delayed until verse 15. And instead of that thanksgiving, or rather in front of that thanksgiving, we have this long blessing here. And this long blessing, you can, if you read it, and maybe read it kind of fast, 
you can hear Paul piling up phrase upon phrase in his excitement about what the theme of this, which are all the great things that God has done for his people in Jesus Christ. Now, um, he begins in verse 3 by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This expression, blessed be God, is a, is a Hebrew expression. If you go back to the Psalms, we find this in the Psalms. We find it in other places in the Old Testament. Blessed be God. And we find it also in the New Testament. Eight times we find the word blessed, and it always refers to God. God is the one who is blessed or blessed. Now, this may sound strange to us. When we say, we bless God, that sounds sort of odd to us because we think of blessing as favors conferred. And we ask ourselves, how can we bless God? We understand how he can bless us in terms of conferring favors upon us, but how can we bless God? How can we contribute anything to God? But if we go back to this word, it's actually very, very literally, the word is to speak well, to speak well of. And it's the word from which we get our word eulogy, eulogy. Now, normally, when do we have eulogies? Right, when somebody dies, all right? Unfortunately, that's when we have eulogies. Uh, we could have eulogies whenever we want. And what are eulogies? They are speaking well of someone. And in this case, in funerals, they're speaking well of those who have passed on. That's what a eulogy is. And so uh, you could, if you wanted to translate it this way, you could say eulogized is God, spoken well of as God, or in our normal language, praised is God. Now, it's interesting that this same word, it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, who has eulogized us. So he is eulogized, he is praised, he is blessed because he has eulogized us. So we speak well of him because he has spoken well of us. Now, but think about this. Think about this. Um, in what sense does he speak well of us? Think about the creation. You remember when God said, let there be light? And then what happened? What was there? Light. And he said, let there be seas and, and mountains and birds and reptiles and so on. And, and what happened? They were. So this is the difference between, between God and us. We speak well of God, but we don't create anything in the process. But when he speaks well to us or of us, he creates the, the, the benefits that he's speaking about. That's why this same word can apply to both. We speak well of God and we praise him. We recognize. But when he speaks well to us, he creates those blessings. He creates those benefits that he gives to us. And so that's the logic of this whole section. We bless God, we eulogize God because he eulogizes us, and by eulogizing us, he confers blessings upon us, and the rest of this is a host of these, these favors that he has given to us. The focus of the blessing here is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is quite a mouthful. He could have just said, like in the Old Testament, blessed be God or blessed is God, but he says, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and this means that, that God is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when Jesus Christ speaks about God, he speaks about God as his God, and he speaks about him as his Father. And by calling the Lord Jesus Christ, this is referring to Jesus the man, Jesus of Nazareth, 
who is the Lord, so he too is God, he is the master of all, and he is the Christ, so he is he is God, and he is also God's anointed. We, we, as I mentioned last week, the, the, the idea of the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, that there is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it is never spelled out in, in, in one phrase, but it is all through the New Testament, and we see that here as well. Because on the one hand, Jesus is... Uh, Jesus has God the Father as his God. And then on the other hand, Jesus is the Lord of all. He is God himself and the anointed of God. But notice he is also ours. Blessed be the God and Father of, what's it say? Our Lord Jesus Christ. This Jesus of Nazareth, this one who is Lord of all, this one who is master of the universe, this one who is God in himself, who is also the anointed of God, is our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the, the, the jumping off point. Because from here on, he says, who has blessed us in Christ. So if, if Christ is ours and we are in him, we have all these blessings. Now, he says here that the blessings are every spiritual blessing. Now, uh, we have many material blessings, particularly those of us who lived in, in privileged places in the West. We have many material blessings. Do any of you have all the material blessings that there are? No, absolutely not, right? And some of us would like to have more material blessings than those that we have, either health or wealth or whatever it might be, comfort. We have some material blessings, but in contrast to that, he says here that we have how many spiritual blessings? All of them, every one, not one left out. Now, this word spiritual can contrast with material, as I have just done. But also, this word spiritual, if we capitalize it, it is saying Holy Spirit blessings. The blessings that are conferred in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Now, we will see here that this section is divided up into basically Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Verses 3 to 6, focus on the Father. Verses 7 to 12, focus on the Son. Verses 13 and 14, focus on the Holy Spirit. But because of the nature of God, we, we can't divide these out very well, can we? Even in the section on the Father, he's speaking of every spiritual favor in Christ, and they are spiritual, capital S favors. They are communicated to us through the Holy Spirit. And where where do we have these? We have many spiritual or material blessings on earth. Spiritual blessings, where are they? In the heavenly places. In the heavenly places. Now, if we look at other texts, the, the heavenly places are the realms where God dwells, where the angels dwell, and even where the, the evil spirits dwell. We'll find out later in Ephesians that the evil spirits are in the heavenly places. Um, most importantly for us, these are the realms in which Christ dwells and from which he reigns. If you look over at Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, 1 to 3, look at the logic here. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So he says, where is Christ? Well, Christ is at the right hand of God. He is in the heavenlies where he sits at the right hand of God and reigns over all. And then he says, where are you? Well, if you are 
If the Lord Jesus Christ is your Lord Jesus Christ, if you are in Christ, then you are with him and you receive in him all these spiritual Holy Spirit blessings. Now, as we look at as we look at um, as we look at the, the breakdown or the outline of this section, one author summarized it this way, and maybe this will be helpful. He talks about selection by the Father, sacrifice of the Son, and seal of the Holy Spirit. Selection by the Father, sacrifice of the Son, and seal of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to be seeing these next three weeks. And you can see that, that th- these are not, these are not uh, categories that, that we've just made up, because at the end of each of these sections, there is a refrain. Look at verse 6. To the praise of His glorious Grace, the end of the Father section. Look at verse 12, the end of verse 12. To the praise of His glory, the end of the Son section. And look at the end of verse 14. To the praise of His glory. So, blessings from the Father, selected by the Father to the praise of His glorious grace. Sacrifice of the Son to the praise of His glory. The seal of the Holy Spirit to the praise of His glory. And so this is the treat This is the treat that we're going to be enjoying these next three weeks. Basking in these blessings by the Father, uh, because of the Son, through the Holy Spirit. And all of it, all of it is to the praise of His glorious grace. We get the goods. We get the benefit. He gets the praise because He is the author and the the, uh, effector and the communicator of all of these favors that he gives to all of those who are in Jesus Christ. So you ready for this banquet? Absolutely ready. Let's let's get into the first section. Because the Father chose us. That's how he begins. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, even as he chose us in him and this in him is Christ before the foundation of the world. That's the first thing he says. The first benefit The Father chose His people before the foundation of the world, before anything uh, earthly was created, before this universe was in existence. From all of eternity, God chose His people. Election is is throughout the Bible. It's not a a small category. It's a huge category in the Bible, as we've seen in our readings and our our singing today. And, And it's very obvious in the Old Testament, right? Uh, Abraham was not looking for God. God plucked Abraham out of the nations and said, you will be mine. He chose Abraham and his descendants. And Abraham had other descendants, but he chose a certain line of those descendants through Isaac and through Jacob. He he chose them before they were born, before they had done anything good or ill. He he chose them. So this this is all through the scriptures, this idea of God's choice. And it says here that he chose us in Christ. That is to say, in connection with Christ. So before the beginning of time, God chose his people in reference to Christ, in relationship with Christ, in in regard to Christ's work that we will be looking at more, more fully next week. Now, this says at least at least this. And this is a this is a powerful idea. It says this that the redemption accomplished by Christ was never plan B. It was always plan A. Why did God make the universe? Well, a good answer to that is, of course, the the final answer is to the praise of his glory, right? 
but he, he created the universe to redeem his people in Christ. That is, was not a plan B. It wasn't like, oh, he created it and then it went wrong. And oh, no, now, now what do we do? No, from all of eternity, he chose his people in reference to Christ, in reference to what Christ would do in his redemption, in sacrificing of himself. And there's a purpose there. The purpose of his choosing that we should be holy and blameless before him. So in verse in verse four, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy saints. We've already seen this word holy and blameless before him in love. So we saw this word saints in verse one to the saints who are in Ephesus, to the holy ones, to the separated ones uh, who are in Ephesus. And here he says the purpose is that we should be holy. Now, we saw last week that sainthood is a, a status But that status of being separated, separated out by God, for God, for his service, leads to holy living, godly living. So the status leads to character. And so we see that here. So we're called saints. And then it says he chose us in order that we might be saints actually in the way we live our lives, holy and blameless. And of course, this idea of blameless brings up the the idea of the perfect sacrifices of the Old Testament. They had to be without blemish. That is God's plan for his people. That is God's goal for choosing his people. Now, of course, the the interpreters ask the question, when? When will this happen? When will we be holy and blameless before him? Is, Is he talking about our lives now? Or is he talking about on that last day when we will stand before him holy and blameless? But we don't really need to decide that. Because the whole idea is that this is practice now for that great day then. He has chosen us in Christ that we might practice being holy and blameless so that we might stand before him holy and blameless on that great day. Now, there's another question, and it's hard to answer. Uh, this, this phrase at the very end of verse 4, in love, in love, um, you'll see that in this version, they've, they've attached that, they put a period there, and then in love, they put with the next verse. So the way they have it uh, here in this version is uh, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Stop. In love, he predestined us. But there are a couple of other ways to read it. You could put that in love with he chose us. He chose us in love. Or you could put it with that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Or as it's translated here, in love, he predestined us. So... um, don't worry too much about this. All of them are true. All of them are true. But actually, my preference is that the in love, uh, as I've looked at this week, go with the holy and blameless before him. That we should be holy and blameless before him in love. In love. In other words, what should our holiness and our blamelessness look like? It's going to look like love for God and love for neighbor. And that's important, but sometimes those two are put... put. Uh, in different categories. Oh, well, she thinks she's so holy. He's he's holier than thou. And what are they saying? He he's very upright, but he's a really a nasty person, right? And see, these don't these shouldn't be opposites. These should go together. How do we live out holiness? How do we live out blamelessness? Well, we live out in this in relationship with others. So he chose us in him so that we might be holy and blameless in love. And this is a a, a major note that he's going to hit later in Ephesians in chapter 4 and following. Now, um, then he goes on, goes on here in verse 5 saying, he predestined us. 
So in verse 4, he chose us, and now he predestined. Now that word, predestined, so it's pre, before, destined, destiny. So he has pre-chosen out our our destiny. Uh, He has predestined us. Now this idea of predestination is not a different idea than election. It's it's kind of the same idea, but but looked at in a, a little bit different light. Because in election, the question is, who? God has chosen whom? Well, he's chosen us in Christ to be holy and blameless. But then in predestination, it's it's the emphasis on the destiny, the, the purpose, the goal. He has predestinated us to for what? For adoption. For adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So there's a, a greater emphasis here on, on the purpose of which he chose us. He predestined us to make us his adopted children. Now, it, it's remarkable that the father of our Lord Jesus Christ would want more children. We've already met him as, as the God and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's remarkable that God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, would want more children. Not that he was dissatisfied with his his unique son, but he is wanting to expand that that benefit of sonship to others. It's remarkable that that the father of our Lord Jesus Christ would want more brothers for for Jesus Christ. And and what's even more remarkable than that is that he would want people like us to be his son's and his daughters. That, that's the purpose of predestination, that we would be his adopted children. And notice how he did that. He says he, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. And by the way, what is adoption? Adoption is, is bringing a, a son or daughter from one family into another family and giving that that adopted son or daughter all the rights and privileges and responsibilities of all the other sons and daughters of that family. So think about it in this context. What does it mean in this context? The rights and privileges and responsibilities that the, the unique son, Jesus Christ, has, he is conferring upon us. It's not, it's not category A children, Jesus, and then these category B children that, that have a lesser status or privilege. No, adoption means that we are brought into the, the same privileges as Jesus Christ himself has. That's what's so remarkable about that. This is the message of predestination. God wants us to share in the same privileges that his unique son has before him. And how did he do that? He says here, for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. So we were chosen in him, Jesus Christ, and now we're adopted through Jesus Christ. So through the work of Christ, which we'll get to more in detail next week. But all of this comes because of the work of Jesus Christ. And then it says, according to the purpose of his will. And here we get to the highest explanation. Why did God do this? And the only answer is because he wanted to. You can't get a higher explanation than that. 
you, you can with humans. You could probably get all sorts of explanations. Why did so-and-so do what he did? All sorts of explanations. But there is no higher explanation to the activity and the decree of God than God himself. How could there be? You see, we consult many things. We, can, we get advice. We go to people. We read books. We look for wise counsel. Uh, who, whom is God going to consult? What, 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 what sage advice will God look for in doing what he does? There is none higher than he. And so in all of God's actions, he consults only himself. He consults his will. And by doing so, he consults the highest authority possible. He does this all because of the purpose of his will, and it is all to the praise of his glorious grace. The cause of God's predestinating is God himself. Now, um, this fact reminds us never to boast. Never to boast. If we are chosen in Christ, if we have been predestined to be his sons and daughters, that is because of his choice, according to his good purpose and that's why the praise is all his you see if you are if you are in christ and if you are a son or daughter of god because because the the baseline foundational reason is because you chose god then praise be to you for making such a brilliant choice but if you are in christ if you have been predestined to be a son or daughter of god because he chose you, then praise be to him for his glorious grace. You see, you see, we are, if we are in Christ, if we are his sons and daughters, it is because he has made us such. There is no greater or higher or more loving explanation than that. And by the way, that's that's the message of election. That's the message of predestination. It is a message of love. It is a message of family kinship. It is a message of sons and daughters. Sometimes, and I think, I, I think it's because people, people extract this doctrine from its context and, 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 and use it in a, in a way that is, is, is not in accordance with how we find it in scripture. They, they talk about this, these, these, these truths as if they were terrible and, and harsh. But they're, they're just the opposite. God chose his people. And notice here, I think I jumped over this. Where is it? Here we go. In verse 4, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He wants us to be his. He wants us to be before him. He wants us to be with him. The message here is, is God's choice. The message here is God's loving choice. When a man chooses a woman to be his wife, do we say, well, that was harsh. When a woman when a woman chooses a man for for her husband, do we say, Well, who does she think she is? What do we do? We rejoice. We say, Isn't that beautiful? He wants her to be his. She wants him to be hers. Isn't that beautiful? And we tear up and we, we rejoice because because someone has chosen another to be his own, to be her own. That's the message of election. And when when a, a child is adopted into a new family, do we, do we castigate the parents and say, how dare you choose that child to be your own? Why didn't you choose every child to be your own? Why did you choose that child to be your own? We don't, we don't castigate the parents. Once again, we tear up and we say, this is beautiful. 
that, that these parents have loved this child, not because any any claim that that child had on them, but but the, the, the stranger to their family the, that, that these parents have placed their love on this child and said, we want you to be ours. We want you to be in our family. We want you to be before us. That's the message of election. That's the message of predestination. It's a message of love, of God wanting us to be his and with him. Now, when we read of God choosing and God predestinating children, his uh, persons to be his children, we naturally, and I think quite rightly, ask the question, well, does that describe me? Am I chosen? Have I been chosen from before the foundation of the world? And how would I know if I have been? Or have I been predestined to be his son or daughter? And, and if so, how would, I, how would I know that? Is there any way to discover that? And, and, and at first, it seems like an impossible task, doesn't it? Because this is God's decree from eternity past. This is before the worlds began. How are we to pry into God's eternal secret counsel to know what he has determined? But it's actually the simplest thing in the world to know. Let me read Acts chapter 13, verse 48. Paul had just finished preaching a sermon And he preached a sermon in which he made known to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, that the door was open for even them. And here's the reaction. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So how do we know who was chosen? How do we know? Who was predestined? How do we know who was appointed to eternal life? And how could they know? Well, they believed when they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, crucified and resurrected. They responded in faith. So if you want to know if you've been chosen by God, if you want to know that he has predestined you to be a son or daughter, it's really quite simple and straightforward. When you hear the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, crucified and resurrected and ascended to the right hand of God, giving life eternal to all who will believe in him, then believe and you will know that God has chosen you. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for this beautiful message of a father choosing children children from another family, children that are described elsewhere as children of wrath, children of disobedience, children of the devil. We praise you, O Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you would choose others to be your children, that you would choose people like us and transfer us from our our former family into your family. Oh God, I pray for those who hear the sound of your word today, here or wherever it's preached, that those whom you have appointed to eternal life, that this day, that they would believe and so know that you have chosen them to be your own. We pray this in Christ's name.